Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Friday, December 20th, 2013. That's right, we'll be taking the pirate ship into dry dock until uh, January 2nd. Seems like a long time, doesn't it? Yeah, it'll be a short broadcast week, the week after next, but with the holidays falling in the center of the week, it makes for some strange things, so... Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, as talked about yesterday, we're going to focus on one thing today, and that's going to be the contrast. If you listen to yesterday's program, yesterday was all about programs that are about you, uh, Christmas sermons, I'm sorry. Sermons, Christmas sermons and messages that are about you rather than proclaiming the good news of what Jesus has done for you. Today's episode will be dedicated to the singular topic of giving you examples of Christmas messages that are all about for you rather than about you. So, but before we get into that, now I understand that, uh, you know, there's a lot of important things going on and, but today's episode is our final episode for this broadcast year. And I know that there's, um, there's things we could be talking about. We could be talking about, uh, the, the apology statement that came out from Tyndale House and Mark Driscoll, uh, where they admitted to mistakes. Um, we could talk about that, but we're not going to talk about that today. Um, in fact, if we get to it, it won't be until January 2nd, if we decide to talk about it at all coming out of the year. But, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of discussion as to whether or not that was a valid, a real apology, if there was real repentance there, if there was a real owning of what really happened or went wrong. But we're not going to weigh in on that today. I could talk about uh, if you follow me on social media, on uh, Facebook and Twitter, then you know that uh, yesterday I was in Manhattan. I was in New York City uh, and uh, was there to be interviewed for a forthcoming History Channel th- series um, on the Bible. That was a fascinating thing. I'm a little bit nervous about it, um, not because I didn't say – I didn't preach the gospel. In fact, it was fascinating the questions that they asked me, and I uh, did my best to provide law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. But you just never know what's going to end up on the cutting room floor. So I might end up having to critique uh, <laughs> my own sound bites you know, if, as they chop it up when uh, that series is uh, released. Uh, next, sometime next year, uh, uh, leading up to Easter. But I'm not going to talk about that in any depth. <clears throat> in fact, it would be inappropriate for me to talk about the content of what I said there. But just suffice it to say that the gospel was preached and the right understanding of God's law and what its purpose is. All that, all of that was actually addressed in the interview. And it should be fascinating to see what happens. You know, I know what I said, and we'll see what it, how what I said, what how it gets plugged in. Uh, when the time comes for that History Channel thing to be released. We're not going to talk about that any further than that today. Instead, like I said, today we're going to provide that contrast. And uh, yesterday's episode, it was all about the for you messages, the things you got to do, you got to, you got to, you got to, and preaching you, 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 your legacy, and all the nonsense that has uh, become the hallmark 
of so-called seeker-driven evangelical preaching nowadays, which t- totally misses the mark. So today, what we're going to be listening to are four. Well, hang on, seven, three. Sorry, three, not four, sir. Three, three. <clears throat> we're going to be listening to three good Christmas sermons and. Um, well, the first one, in fact, I'll just uh, we'll, we'll talk about what they are right now. The first one is uh, going to be delivered by uh, Pastor Brent Kuhlman of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We're going to be listening to his uh, Christmas Eve uh, sermon uh, from last year uh, entitled Emmanuel, God with us for you. And he's going to be preaching on the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. And uh, when we're done with that, we're going to be listening to uh, Ernie Lastman's uh, sermon uh, from Christmas Eve of last year entitled, A Savior, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And then uh, to uh, be batting cleanup, we will be hearing uh, Jeremy Rohde's Christmas sermon from last year uh, entitled, The Angels Worship Jesus, which is based upon uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, as well as the Gospel of John. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So before each of the sermons, I will read the respective texts, and uh, then we will launch right into it. And I'm not going to interrupt the sermons, but what I'd like you to do, as you're listening to each of these sermons, listen to how the emphasis is not about something you've got to do. If the law is brought up at all, it's going to be to convict you of your sin, And the solution is not going to be, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to uh, apply these principles so that you can have a stress-free Christmas or any of that other nonsense. The solution is always going to be Christ for you, the virgin-born Jesus for you. So the uh, the text that forms the basis of Pastor Brent Kuhlman's brief homily, and that's what it is, it's a brief homily, is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, which reads, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Here's Pastor Brent Kuhlman and his Christmas Eve sermon from last year entitled, Emmanuel, God with us. For you. Here we go. Well, grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A reading from the, Ma- the Gospel according to St. Matthew. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Dear friends in Christ, virgins don't have babies. And God, of course, he's way up there somewhere, right? All you have to do is ask any doctor, ask any man, ask any woman. They'll tell you that a virgin cannot have a baby. Ask the religion experts. Ask the philosophers. They'll give you the answer. God's stuck way up there in heaven. He can't enter into our time and space. He can't get involved in this rotten, wrecked world or our rotten, wrecked lives. He can't dirty himself with all of our rot, gunk, and filth. He doesn't dare taint himself with our sin, let alone the stench of our death. For God to be God, he must stay away and concentrate on himself. Think about himself, talk to himself, and look at himself, and live for himself. Now, since God can't come down to you, then you've got to make your way up to God. You've got to climb a ladder to heaven. How's that been working for you? Now, in the text tonight, we heard just the opposite of the world's wisdom. St. Matthew records the facts, the truth, facts that go against all reason, experience, and human wisdom. The first is this. The virgin named Mary is pregnant, not by a man, not by Joseph. She got pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit-filled sermon preached into her ears by the archangel Gabriel. Just as the prophet predicted hundreds of years earlier, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And this virgin did give birth. The second fact, just as Isaiah predicted, is this. The baby in Mary's belly, conceived by the Holy Spirit, is no ordinary baby. Her baby is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Yes, you heard that correctly. That baby is God. God is that baby. God is with us in that baby. When you see that baby, you see God. 
If you were to see God, you must look at that baby. There's no doubt about it. Baby God Jesus is with us in all the muck and the mire of our lives. He comes into our time and space. He interrupts our wrecked world and our troubled lives. Why? For you, that's why. For you and for your salvation. To save his people from their sins. To save you from your sin. Baby God Jesus is the reason for this season and more. He is the reason, the only reason for your salvation. For he allowed himself to be tainted. Yes, the Holy One of God Jesus who knew no sin was made to be sin. That's Calvary. That's the Friday we call good. On him was laid the iniquity of us all. And so he was cursed to redeem us from the curse of the law. And then he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Suffering the damnation of hell. And then he dies. God is not only Emmanuel, God with us, but he dies as the only atoning sacrifice for sin. What's your sin? Some of it you know. Some of it you don't know. Some of it you can't quit. Some you fight against with all your gusto, but others you love to do. Some sins bother you, some don't. You could care less about those. But I tell you that Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, died for all your sin. He didn't leave any out of his bloody Good Friday dying. His birth is for you. His death is for you. Now tomorrow he has more gifts for you, not under your tree, not in your stocking. Will you come and receive his gifts? Will you take the time to get out of bed? Millions of Christians all over the world will gather to receive his gifts. And what are they? Exactly what he says and promises in the sacrament. Here, eat this bread, drink this cup of wine, my body and blood, and it's for you, for the forgiveness of your sin. Now with such a Jesus, born of the Virgin, Emmanuel, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us on the cross, bearing all our sin and answering for them, God dead and damned in our place, God shedding his blood and offering his body and sacrificial death for sinners, with such a Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us and for us, you are never the same again. And that's spelled faith, F-A-I-T-H. Faith can't live without Emmanuel, God Jesus, and all his abundant and gracious giving at Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, Pentecost, and every Lord's Day. Faith. Faith always depends on him and him alone. The God-man born of the Virgin, Emmanuel, God with us. God for you. Have a happy Christmas. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, the next sermon, actually this is a sermon from a couple of years ago, uh, the Reverend Ernie Lassman of uh, Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington, who uh, we've been working through his lectures here in our Christianity 101 series, and they are just spectacular. Um, His sermon is entitled, A Savior, and the text for this Christmas Eve sermon was is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, which reads, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. This is the text that forms the basis of this sermon by Pastor Ernie Lastman, entitled, A Savior. Here we go. My fellow redeemed in Christ, tonight, this Christmas Eve, is a wondrous night. A night of awe and reverence. A night of glory and worship. God becomes man. The Creator becomes a creature. The Word is made flesh and dwelt among us. But why? Why would God want to become one of us? I suggest to you that's rather a step down, is it not? And not a step up. We can certainly understand why human beings would like to be God, or at least like to be like God, but why would God want to become one of us? Well, fortunately, on this Christmas Eve, we don't have to guess at the answer to that question. The Christmas angel tells us, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior for you. Well, that sounds like a gift to me. A gift from God for you, for me, for all the world, a Savior. You go to the dictionary, the dictionary defines a savior as one that saves from danger or destruction. So then what does Jesus Christ, our savior, save us from? From God's anger and God's wrath against our sin. Indeed, against the sin of the world, he saves us from God's eternal damnation in hell. Because God is holy. So holy, he can't even tolerate one sin. And because God is a just God, God must punish sin. He has no choice. And so God has warned us many times in scriptures that one day he will judge all of humanity and destroy this creation. At the beginning of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, the narrator says, There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood. Or nothing wonderful can come from the story I am going to relate. And so it is, my dear friends in Christ, with this Christmas Eve sermon, it must be distinctly understood that one day God's wrath will be poured out on sinful humanity and this world and this universe will be destroyed. This must be distinctly understood or nothing good can come from this Christmas Eve sermon. Because what do we hear on this Christmas Eve from the angel that God so loved the world, he gave us a Savior. A Savior. That's pretty good news to me. And so I think because that's such good news, I need to start this sermon by saying to you a very Merry Christmas. And you say back to me. Thank you. We often hear people talking, and I'm sure you've heard it, about making this world a better place. But you know what? That's just empty rhetoric, and you know it. This world will never be a better place. You know that. Never. And why not? Because of sin. Because of human sin. Most people really don't understand what sin really is, the essence of sin, which is living for the self. Who's the most important person in the world? Why me, of course. Thank you for asking. But you see, if people are living for themselves, then they're not living for God. Ah, that's the way the world is the way it is. You see, human sin explains everything about about this world we live in. Well, yeah, six billion people living for themselves, and we wonder there's problems in the world. 
Of course, it's easy to see sin in other people. We can do that all the time. It's much harder to see the sin in ourselves. For example, whenever we're gossiping about other people, in the midst of gossiping, have you ever wondered what other people are gossiping about you and what they're saying about you? Well, I think we don't really want to know. You see, we're all in this together. We're all helpless sinners. As the author of Ecclesiastes says, there's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Indeed, everything bad in your life can easily be explained by sin. Either the sin of other people that's impacting your life or your own sin that's impacting your life. And then, of course, there is death. How can this world ever be a better place as long as death is around? And death, if you've probably noticed, never takes a holiday. Never goes on vacation, not even during the season of Christmas. And so as we're gathered here in this beautiful sanctuary, having this wonderful Christmas Eve service, there are people right now at this very moment desperately sick and dying. And yet having said all these things, a week from tonight on New Year's Eve, once again we'll hear all the platitudes of how we're going to make the world a better place for 2011. And you know it won't be, will it? Same problems we have in 2010, we'll have in 2011. Besides, Jesus Christ was not born to make this place a better world. You see, that's the talk of philosophers who dream of earthly utopias or of politicians who want your vote. That's not the talk of God. Nowhere in God's word does he ever talk about making this world a better place. Now, having said all those things on this Christmas Eve, I do believe the world is a better place because Jesus was born, and it would be a much worse place without him. As you know, in the movie It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey found out what life would have been like if he had never been born, and it would have been worse because he touched the lives of so many people for good. And then the same thing happened, of course, in the Christmas Carol with Ebenezer Scrooge. He became a different man. And what was it that made Scrooge a different and a better man? Why, it was Christmas. And only God knows how many lives have been touched by Jesus Christ for the good. Indeed, can you imagine this world without the message of Jesus Christ? How much good has come into the world because of the message of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a Christian to know that Christmas is about love and joy and comfort and peace and hope. How much worse the world would be if there was no message of Jesus Christ. Indeed, how different Western civilization would be if there was no message of Jesus Christ and he had never been born. Yes, The message of Jesus Christ does make a difference in the world and for the good. And yet, having said that, the world really has not changed. But but Christmas Eve and the message of Jesus Christ makes this sin-fallen world so much more bearable. And Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ in the midst of this sin-fallen world of death gives us hope. Hope that there's another world coming, a better world coming, when Jesus returns that second and that last time. Which brings me once again back to Jesus as our what? As our Savior. A Savior from death. A Savior from destruction to give us hope. Hope of a better world yet to come. And so I also say at this time in the sermon, because of this hope, Merry Christmas. And you say? Thank you. Remember the message of the Christmas angel. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. If you were about to cross the street and somebody grabbed you or pushed you out of the way of an oncoming speeding car, that person would have become your Savior. They would have saved you from being hurt or harmed or even killed by that speeding car. And so it is with Jesus. He is our Savior. He saves us from death. He saves us from God's curse of eternal damnation. As Paul writes in his first letter to the Thessalonians, we wait, we wait for Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
As I told you earlier, the Bible warns us in many places about the judgment day when people will answer to God finally for their sins. But you know as well as I do, most people don't take that very seriously, do they? No, they don't. Why not? Well, it seems so remote. And besides, it hasn't happened yet. And because it hasn't happened yet, people assume it will never happen. Ah, but that's taking quite a risk, isn't it? Just because something hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Perhaps a good illustration of that is earthquakes in California. Just because the big one hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it won't happen. And so it is with the judgment day and God's wrath against sin and rebellion against him. As Peter says in his second letter, But by the same word, the heaven and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But in the midst of that message, what does the Christmas angel tell us tonight Tonight on this Christmas Eve? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior from God's wrath and destruction. So again, I cannot hold myself back. Merry Christmas. And you say, thank you. You see, here is the wonder of Christmas. Here is the wonder of Christmas, that the very same God that we have offended with our sin, the very same God that we have rebelled against, that same God has sent us His Son to save us from God's wrath and destruction. The little baby Jesus, the baby of Bethlehem, would grow up to die on that cross for the sins of the world, canceling our debt to God in full. That's why he was born. That was his purpose in life, to be a savior for you, for me, for all the world, and all those who trust in him. There is no condemnation. There's only forgiveness. And there's only peace with God and the hope of a much better world to come. Because all those who trust in Jesus Christ one day will be raised up from the dead in a new glorified body, in a new world to live in the very presence of God. And Jesus Christ forever and ever in a life where there'll be no more sin and no more death. As we read in the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Behold, the dwelling of God is with man, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, it all starts with Christmas. The birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem all makes this possible, all makes this a reality, and so I cannot constrain myself, I cannot hold myself back anymore. At this point, once again in the sermon, I must say to you, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Soon. Oh, too soon. This Christmas service will be over. And once again, we'll all have to go back out there. Out there to that world of sin and death. Out there to that world of problems and pain. Out there, once again, to that world of violence, a world in rebellion against God, a world that will never change, a world that will never get better, never. Ah, but something has changed. Oh, yes. We have changed, have we not? In the movies, It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol, the world, you'll notice, did not change, but George Bailey and Ebenezer Scrooge did. They were changed men, and so it is with us. Christmas has changed us. Christ has changed us. Because of him, this sin-fallen world is so much more bearable. Because of him, this sin-fallen world of death even has meaning. And Because of him, we can live in this sin-fallen world of death with hope. Hope of a new and a better world yet to come. Yes, indeed, and so like the shepherds of long ago, because we have been changed, we can return to our lives. We can go back out there into that sin-fallen world of death, praising and glorifying God. Why? Because we know the meaning, the real meaning of Christmas. For unto you 
He's born this day in the city of David, a Savior, a Savior. And so once again, how can I not end this Christmas Eve service, this sermon, by saying to you again, Merry Christmas. Thank you, and amen. And now the peace of God that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our last sermon to kind of round out this compare and contrast episode of Fighting for the Faith, which again works with yesterday's episode, is uh, from Faith Lutheran Church, Capistrano Beach, California, the uh, Reverend uh, Jeremy Rohde, and the name of the sermon is The Angels Worship Jesus. And the text, there's two texts that he's working from here, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Let me read them respectively. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 reads, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into all of the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. The second text is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, which reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people, but they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the text. These are the texts that form the basis of Pastor Jeremy Rohde's sermon entitled, The Angels Worship Jesus. Here we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let all God's angels worship Him. The author of Hebrews has taken these words from the Septuagint, and they reveal to us a profound truth. The little infant, wrapped in Mary's arms, is not only worshipped by human beings, he is also worshipped by the angels. It would not surprise us to hear of angels worshipping God, or even the Word that was with God and was God. The triune God has always been worshipped by the angels. But something different is now being said. Let all the angels worship Him. Him being that little human being suckling at Mary's breast. He can't utter a single intelligible word. He can't hold his own head up. He can't even keep from dirtying his diaper. But the greatest heavenly beings bow, kneel, prostrate themselves before him. 
We Christians worship a man. And we're not alone. In the little manger that cradles a helpless baby boy, the angels see the Lord of heaven and earth. It is these same angelic beings that God speaks of when he says to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? At the dawn of creation, when our universe and all its fullness was being made, the angels were there. In the Nicene Creed, the church confesses that God is the maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. When we say invisible, this includes the angels. The scriptures teach us that God created the angelic beings before he created human beings. As we just heard, he created them before he laid the foundations of the earth. They not only watched as he spoke our world into being, they sang together and shouted for joy. What do countless angel voices sound like? Scripture teaches that there are so many angels as cannot be numbered. A choir of countless angels sung for joy at the dawn of a new creation. Unimaginable choir. Unimaginable song. In all of history, the only other time that such a breathtaking angelic event occurs is Christmas. It begins with the preaching of a single angel who appears to shepherds in the Bethlehem sky, saying, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you a gospel of great joy to all people. For there is born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christos, Curios, the angel says, Christ who is the Lord. According to the angel, the one through whom the heavens and the earth were made, is that very moment swaddled and lying in a Bethlehem manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly host, a plethos stratia, a vast heavenly army that filled the skies, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. At the dawn of creation, the angelic host sang for joy. And now at the birth of Christ, they sing once again. For an even greater thing is happening this Christmas morn. God has not merely made a new creation. God Himself has entered creation. God has become one of us. Neither He nor our world will be the same ever again. And at this, the morning stars sing and the sons of God shout for joy. Christ is not only the center of the human world, Christ is the center of the angelic wor world. Born the King of Angels, we just sang. St. John tells us more of this angelic worship of Jesus. In Revelation, all of heaven bows and sings to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All heavenly worship is directed toward Christ, for He is the express image of the invisible God. Whoever sees me he says, has seen the Father. Heavenly beings so awesome and powerful as to defy description worship Jesus and prostrate themselves before His feet. 
but human beings will not. Bored with the Christmas story. Bored by church. Bored by God's word. St. Peter says that when the gospel is preached, even the angels desire to look into these things. But you just hope that the pastor keeps it short and tells a few jokes to keep you entertained. Or you avoid church altogether. Imagine if the preacher preached for one whole hour. Imagine if church lasted two hours instead of one. You'd be fit to be tied. You see, you don't have to look into the Scriptures to find a Pharisee, a whitewashed sepulcher. You may have been cleaned up on the outside, but not on the inside. Angels desire to hear God's Word. But you'd rather critique the hymn selection the pastor's performance, the sinners in the next pew. You evaluate God Himself on the basis of your own enjoyment, not just at church. It's as if God owes you to make your life everything you want it to be. Enjoyment is your God. Whether it's a preacher who tickles your ears, or a half-naked body that tickles your eyes, or a juicy bit of gossip that tickles your tongue, you're no more complex than this. You love whatever godly or ungodly thing strokes your ego best. Every one of God's commandments you've broken. You're not the victim, you're the perpetrator. You're not the unjust sufferer in a fallen world. You are receiving the temporal punishments you deserve. What would it take for God to get your attention? Would He have to come down from heaven and make Himself your Savior? Even when He does... The angels worship Him, but you will not. You've spent countless hours buying gifts and wrapping them, making food and decorating. Have you spent a fraction of that time on your knees, bent over, bowed down in prayer? You've drawn up Christmas lists and examined product descriptions. Have you even taken one hour to examine yourself to draw up the list of sin that damns you before God, to plead with Him for forgiveness. You've not loved God with all your heart, not even close. A twisted version of God, maybe. A God who stands with you when you despise government, despise church, despise your boss and those in authority over you. A God who turns His head to your adultery and pornography and perverse thoughts. A God who doesn't mind if you steal a little, cheat a little, or lie a little, just as long as it still makes you feel good. The angels worship Jesus. The truth is, you worship yourself. Oh, now, pastor, why did you have to go and ruin Christmas? talking about sin. Why couldn't you have just kept telling us about those lovely angels? Why couldn't you just let us have our cozy little manger scene and our comfy little Christmas? Well, that may indeed be the twisted version of Christmas that we human beings enjoy most, but the real Christmas, it is not. The angel's Christmas, it is not. Let me tell you about God's Christmas. No electricity, no light bulbs, no heat. In the cold and dark stable, a young woman lies down on straw, littered with dirt and dung and God knows what else. No doctors or nurses, no epidural, no pillows or clean sheets. Cries of agony from a young mother. 
sweating, shaking, and screaming. A white and purple baby comes forth in the usual way. Too quiet, then, thank God, screaming into the Bethlehem night. No sterile knife for the cord. No warm blankets. No soap. Baby wrapped up. Mom wrapped up in whatever hopefully not too filthy swaddling clothes and whatever coats they had. Mom and child shivering. Death looming. Joseph pacing. Angels praying. Blood and afterbirth all over the hay. Merry Christmas. If you're a sinner, and you are, you need some pious, precious moments Christmas like a crack addict needs one more hit. What you truly need is the Christmas that really was and is. The God who chooses to come down into the coldness, the darkness, the dung of your own life. You need the Word made flesh, with nerves to feel the pain and know your weakness, that He might sympathize with you. You need the Lord who is born in blood and filthy hay, a Savior, though innocent Himself, who is no stranger to ugliness and sin. This is what it means for Christ to be born. For he who knew no sin to become sin for you. This little child is born not in a palace, but in the midst of disease and death and blood-stained hay. This little child has come to be baptized into your godliness and filthiness. To have the muck of your sin, the sewage of your apathy poured out on him. To be spat on, struck and stripped naked. To be lashed until his flesh is a torn pulp of sinew and raw nerves. To be stabbed by nails onto a wooden cross so that all the world may mock him then and still. The birth of the child who comes for this, who comes for you, is the only Christmas that is worth anything. You are bought at a price, and that price is his agony and his blood from manger to the cross that he pays willingly. Because he loves you. Don't think that his lowly birth and shameful death are below heaven. This is he whom the angels worship. This is the Christmas and the crucifixion that causes the morning stars to sing and the sons of God to shout for joy. The angels rejoice as if it were a new creation because the Word has become flesh for the crucifixion of His flesh, for the shedding of His blood, that all things, including you, might be made new. O morning stars together, proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to all the earth. For there is no peace between you and God without His flesh nailed to the cross and His blood draining from lifeless veins. The Word has not become flesh so that you might have a few days off from work, so that you might be filled with warm and fuzzies or have some quality family time. The Word has become flesh to pay the awful price for your sin. And pay it he has. By the cleansing of his holy blood, you are forgiven. The word has become flesh. 
to baptize you into his death and resurrection, that you might be his child now and for all eternity, his new creation. The word became flesh to drink to the dregs the cup of God's wrath so that you might drink only the cup of his salvation. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 who need no repentance. Our Lord himself says that. Indeed, he tells us that there is joy, joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, Jesus is not worshipped by all men. He is only worshipped by men who know that they are sinners. And he is worshipped by angels who find deepest joy in the mercy that this God has shown to you and to men. What you need is a real Christmas. A real Christmas you have. A real Savior you have. Let all God's angels worship Him. Let us worship Jesus too. For with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, it's my hope that after listening to those three sermons that you can see the world of difference that exists between the preaching of you rather than the preaching of Christ for you. That is the best gift that I could give you this Christmas. It's not you and the things you've got to do. The best gift I can give you is the gift of knowing that Jesus Christ, the virgin-born Son of God, God with us, came to earth to save you, a sinner, and save you from your sins. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Christianity. That's the gospel. Hopefully you can see the difference, and the difference makes all the difference in the whole world. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till next year, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Merry Christmas. <laughs>